Welcome back for season three, if you can believe it, of the Unrest Podcast. I'm Caitlin Stancil. And I'm Madeline Green. We took a little bit of a break, but we are back and better than ever. (laughs) I hope. (laughs) You might notice as we are returning now, we have one less member, sadly, Carter. She's not going to be able to join us for this season because of some big life changes that include a new job and, of course, taking care of of baby Maddie, not to be confused with Madeline. Even though uh, I do act like a baby sometimes. <laughs> you might remember Maddie though. She was one of our guests on our podcast. She's been on here since birth, which she just turned a year old a month or two ago. Yeah. She's so cute. I know that they're having so much fun chasing after her. I'm sure. Oh my gosh. And that just kind of goes to show how long we've been doing this now because she was pregnant with Maddie when we first started. I know. Isn't that crazy? So baby Maddie has been with us from the very beginning. So she is a cherished guest. And of course, we hope to have Carter back as for a couple of guest appearances throughout the season if we can get her when she has some time and she's not chasing around the babe. Yeah, I went back and listened to like a few of them and we definitely need to get her and Fran back on here because they oh, yes. never told us about like her grandfather who was shot in the head and like chopped up, left us hanging with this like story, like these, oh my goodness moments. And I was like, wait, we need to get her on here. And then we never did another show. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's definitely have to come back, especially when we start needing some real life haunt reinforcements. Um, we will put her down on the list to bring her back. Yes, for sure. So, Caitlin, you've got our story for today. Kind of tell us a little bit about it. Well, for our first episode of season three, I wanted to find something a little unique, a little exciting, a little different than what you've heard in almost 30 episodes we've done since we started the Unrest podcast. That's crazy. I know. When I went back and looked at our list, I was like, wow, I don't remember doing this many, but apparently we did. (laughs) (laughs) We were consistent for a while. (laughs) And we do want to thank some of our listeners who have been there from the beginning um, and are excited about season three starting back up. We appreciate the love and support. To kick this off, here's where I kind of got the idea for this one. I recently watched this show on Netflix, and I'm not sure if you've seen it yet, but it's called Archive 81. Have you seen it? Uh Uh-uh. Maybe on Netflix. Oh, this is super. (laughs) It's one of those that you probably want to watch by yourself. (laughs) Or if you do watch it, watch it during the daytime. But um, the basic premise is that this guy takes a mysterious job, of course, where he's asked to restore some old videotapes. And these videotapes, they were supposedly damaged in a fire that happened at this kind of weird old apartment building in New York. So while he's fixing them, he discovers it's they're connected to this creepy cult. Sounds like something right up our alley, right? But essentially, um, there's this kind of like entity that starts interacting with him through the screen. Mm. And that's kind of where I stopped because, I don't know, it got a little too weird for me. I wasn't following it too closely after that. Right. Um, anyways, so this had me thinking, you know, about how ghost or paranormal beings, whatever you want to call them, how they seem to interact with the living world 
through technology a lot of times. Um, this kind of goes back to my personal ghost story about when we were in um, at <laughs> who said Azkaban, Alcatraz <laughs> in San Francisco, and we like caught this kind of weird moment on Snapchat. But uh, maybe some other pop culture references that might jog your memory. Poltergeist, that's a really great example. Those beings interact through the kind of white noise of the television screen. And ghosts, they've also been recorded speaking or making noises when people have tried to document them through video cameras. So I was like, hmm, what is a good example of this happening? And I found this really cool film. It is called Mm. Return to Babylon. It was made in 2013. So kind of like relatively recently compared to a lot of ghostly happenings that we talk about on here. I'm going to go out on a limb and say this wasn't a blockbuster hit. (laughs) You probably haven't seen it. If you have, I would be shocked. But um, it was created kind of to be a modern day take on a black and white silent film. So uh, it itself is a silent film. It's shot in black and white and it portrays Hollywood during the silent movie era in the 1920s. And it's not really like the content of the film that makes this a spooky story or incident. Instead, it's what the film recorded that is creepy. Mm. So how it started, which is probably should have given the director like a cue that this was going to be a weird experience. But right. <laughs> the movie was shot using rolls of 16 millimeter film that the director said he found just sitting on a sidewalk on Hollywood Boulevard. I mean, hmm. I don't know. Yeah. That's probably that the first suspicious. red flag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but he did say that when he found it, it was perfectly factory sealed and it seemed to be untouched. Like it was never used. So that's weird. Yeah. That was their kind of justification for the uh, unexplainableness of what happened next. Mm-hmm. Um, so most accounts are that filming was relatively normal as they were going through the process. Um, you know, there wasn't really anything that was noticed until the film was cut and put together and they replayed it. And that's when the director and the cinematographer, they noticed that in certain shots, the actor's faces seemed to morph into what they kind of described as grotesque images uh, they were described as demonic looking or almost like skeletal. And mm-hmm. in other shots, actors seem to grow these long webbed fingers. <laughs> so I know our listeners can't see the screen right now, but I'm going to share a video with Madeline and we'll make sure we post it on our Facebook page and group as well. But just take a look. Were they able to release the movie? Yes, it did premiere. Um but just take a look here. So we talked about those kind of long webbed fingers. Watch what happens. So that was like one of the weird kind of sketchy faces it caught. And then like Ooh. this guy, his fingers look really kind of long and like another kind of like a creature almost, right. not a person. This one is apparently one of the images it captured that's kind of weird. Hmm. So like it's now, is there any evidence that this is not fixed? Apparently so. And I'm going to tell you about that in just a moment. Okay. I know like they are kind of weird mm-hmm. and you know, if you, if there wasn't some kind of evidence from the director, at least that 
this wasn't untouched, you would think there was some kind of like special effect on it. Okay. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like, it's just kind of like, it doesn't help that it was shot in black and white. So I think that already kind of exactly gives it like a creepier feel. Right. But. Or the fact that it was made in 2013 and it's a black and white silent movie. Yes. And that <laughs> the film that they use, that 16 millimeter black and white film, it kind of has like a really grainy texture mm-hmm. to it. And I just feel like that already can lend itself to altering the images that it's capturing a little bit. Right. Maybe not to the extent that it did for this no, movie, no. but um, <laughs> it's strange either way you look at it. Right. So according to Wikipedia, there were what, what also kind of, I guess, justifies maybe maybe the reality of the images that it captured is that there was even a cast member that apparently had some like weird things happen when they were on set. She was one of the kind of stars of this movie, Jennifer Tilly, and she had reported that she had a creepy feeling on set, like she felt like she was being watched or someone or something was touching her. Mm-hmm. And then I guess she was just someone that maybe was a lot more sensitive to paranormal things too, because she also had another encounter where she just said, I need to leave early filming for the day. And then the rest of the crew that was on set said they felt really weirded out. Like they thought there was this negative energy on set. Hmm. So I don't know if you believe in this kind of thing, maybe that is where these kind of ghostly images came from. Some other things it caught on camera on this film is that there were some full-bodied apparitions and even the faces of some dead actors, such as Mm. Lon Chaney, and also some other shadows as well. That's cool. So basically, they went back and looked at it after everything was said and done, and they were like, this is very strange. You know, like, this isn't what we thought we were capturing when we made the film. And... There's kind of two schools of thought here. Either this film did really capture these ghostly sort of images or it was all a hoax. Right. But what I found is that the director has gone on record and said that they did not toy with the images. There were no special effects used. And also, like, the premise of the movie doesn't really lend itself to special effects or, like, (laughs) having these demonic images show up. It kind of was a movie about like the scandalous era of Hollywood back in the 1920s and kind of like what making silent films was like. So it didn't it didn't add anything to the movie for them to have like a special effect that had a skeleton or like a demonic image. Right. And the director themselves said that they also wondered, like, was there some kind of technical problem or other explanation for this? So they say that they sent it off to be examined by experts and again, according to the director and an article that quotes him from the Telegram and Gazette, he said there was no reasonable explanation for what the film captured. And I found this really cool quote from him, actually. It was from that same article. And he said, you know, asked if some skeptics might explain the matter by calling out all a hoax. The director replied, I don't know what to say. I can only explain the story the best way I can. I'm going to stand my ground that it's not a hoax. We had the film examined. So, so like, I wonder though if I feel like it all kind of comes back to the idea of they found this film on the side of the road yeah. and then decided to make a movie with it. 
Right. I just find it really strange that not only did you find this random film on the side of the road to film this movie, then you have this type of effect throughout the movie. Like something strange. (laughs) (laughs) It's strange no matter how you look at it, really. Like it doesn't really matter if you believe in ghosts or not. It's strange. Right. Um, And then maybe even the spookiest part of all of it, you know, the director says that they think that whatever these apparitions or paranormal beings that were captured in this film, he thinks they wanted to send some sort of message. And he said he has taken it to religious groups now and that they are very concerned about it. Hmm. That's all they said. They didn't say what they were concerned about, <laughs> about it, but okay. <laughs> Interesting. The set of the movie, was it in a special place or anything like that? Mm, like where know, there would be some kind of tie to a history? People had eerie feelings in particular while filming on the estate of Talmadge. Part of this film was shot at this place called the Talmadge Estate. It is this kind of sprawling Venetian inspired house. And apparently there's this woman and actress that lived there, Norma Talmadge. I'm going to share my screen with you because I feel like the ambiance of this estate really kind of works into the creepiness of the film. They have these high ceilings that are vaulted into like peaks Mm -hmm. almost. And there was one little shot in the film where this girl is running out. And you see these ceilings behind her. So it kind of like plays into it all. And even some people said that this is where they felt the most eerie, I guess, was in. Very interesting for sure. I know. What I think is cool about this, though, this story is that it just goes to show technology, especially devices like cameras or televisions. They really seem to be some sort of channel for communication for the paranormal. Um, Right. And I think you looked into a little bit of this with your haunted history this week. Yeah. So definitely going off of that story, we're going to focus on hauntings through recordings. The first thing I found to be kind of like the very first thing that people thought of as far as like recording hauntings, that kind of thing is something that's called actually the stone tape theory. Hmm. Um, So it's just this idea that like the ghosts and the spirits were this analog that pretty much was like a taped recording because we're talking about pre-recording times. Mm. Um, but it would, it would happen during like these really emotional or traumatic events. And when something like that happens, that can be projected in a form of energy, almost like a recording per se onto like a rock or some other sort of item. And then that is interesting. Yeah. And then under certain conditions, it can be replayed. So maybe like if you were susceptible to it and you touched this item, you would replay that, that feeling or that traumatic incident that happened recording. That kind of makes a lot of sense because so many ghost stories, if you will, are, are some kind of like object seems to be the vessel for whatever the paranormal experience is. So if that is kind of like a recording device in a sense, like a, a timestamp of whatever happened, that is and fascinating. When I read this, it reminded me of that show we used to watch 
about the objects that like people had haunted and, objects <laughs> right and so like everyone assumed that these objects were like haunted or they could have been this type of item you know yeah. that they were just that energy was pushed on this certain type of item that's but really cool this idea comes from similarities and views from the 19th century intellectuals and psychic researchers so that's kind of who got this idea going of this stone tape theory and it was this idea that the environmental elements were capable of storing traces of human thoughts or emotions so this is kind of the first time in history that you're seeing where people thought that ghosts and spirits were able to kind of be recorded i guess Hmm. and it just so happened that it it was maybe mostly in some sort of rock or stone, but it could be in other items as well. So that's kind of the very first time that you see this. And that would kind of explain why some areas, buildings seem to have like more activity than others. Right. Well, and like you think about or kind of absorb those, like you said, emotions or or events. Or like hospitals or, you know, um, just anything like that. It kind of learning this makes sense that, you know, those walls maybe have gained that sort of energy over time. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. So then kind of moving on into a more modern approach, there was an article that you sent me um, on the Huck website and it was called Ghost in the Machine Inside the Internet's Paranormal History. Mm. And a quote from that, it says, the internet is also accompanied by ghosts. And I'm not just talking about photographic memories of dead relatives, your embarrassing indie rock review blog from 2008 (laughs) that still has your name on it, or even the AIs trained to sound like your dad used to when he was alive. I'm talking about a trove of digital mysteries, the call of the unexplained that used to be speculated around a fire, but now happens to be on a subreddit thread on Tuesday at 3 a.m. Or in a podcast. Yes. (laughs) And, you know, the article kind of continues on and it states that it believes that these recordings and stuff all start with electricity Hmm. and that there have been investigations into the potential of electric equipment being a tool used to communicate with the afterlife. I mean, we've seen it pretty much watch ghost hunters. You see all their electrical equipment, but it dates back, like I said, to the 19th century. Before I kind of looked into that stone theory, I was saying it kind of surprised me because when I think about this obsession with recording um, paranormal, I think of it as a modern thing, but it was something that was carried out in the 19th century too. Said scientists such as Nikola Tesla and Thomas Edison said to be some of the very first explorers of this concept. Hmm. Then it goes on to say that most ghosts seem to be a fan of electrical devices. So Steve <laughs> Parsons, who is a member of the Society of Psychical Research and a physicist himself, says that theories and speculation consider that radios and telephones are already direct voice communication devices, which renders the possibility that if connections could take place, these would be some of the most obvious and likely methods to be employed. So like, that makes a lot of sense. I never looked at it that way, but since it's already something that we communicate with, why would it not be easy for a spirit or a ghost or whatnot to use those same tools? Yeah. Um, He then continues and says, for an example, the 
SETI project astronomers and scientists were looking for evidence of alien life forms. So they also turned to radio communications and electromagnetic emissions as the most probable and likely area to look for evidence of alien life. So it would appear to be more logical than looking at like, I'm not sure what this means, but it says um, a planchet on a table or a glass. (laughs) I'm not not sure if those are things that people have used in the past to check out aliens, but that's what he says. It's even been used for alien life, not just paranormal activity. So that's pretty interesting. And then obviously the most well-known way of communicating is through recordings, which we've all seen TV shows where everyone is walking around with their recorders asking the spirits a million questions. And then they play back these recordings and sometimes you will hear a voice that you did not hear previous. And we all know that to be an EVP, which stands for the Electronic Voice Phenomenon. And I guess Um, that gives some plausibility to this film, you know, when they were recording. Oh, yeah. They didn't notice anything until they played it back. Right. And they say that an investigator could also use a specifically designed device, which now they call a ghost box. In 2009, the TV show Ghost Adventures, they used a ghost box or a spirit box, which essentially is a radio set to a consistent sweep through all the stations and frequencies extremely fast and without ever stopping on a specific one. And if a clear voice can be heard in between the milliseconds of sound picked up by the scanning, that some investigators assume that the ghost might be manipulating the radio waves to communicate. For me, that sounds far-fetched. Yeah, like, who comes up with that? (laughs) Right? And I'm not the only one because they say that these ghost boxes are nicknamed crack cocaine for ghost hunters due to the fact that it's easy to get carried away with all the sounds that you're going to hear sweeping through these stations. And the results are usually kind of easily explained. I Um, feel like you really could become very like obsessive and crazy if you like got hardcore into ghost hunting. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure. I'm 100%. No offense to anyone out there who might be <laughs> that deep into it, but right. I could see then, how it would lend itself to that. Yeah. And then it goes to say, you know, the way that technology continues to grow, that there will probably be more devices that will come around and be an even better way to connect to these ghosts. Hmm. A professor, Christopher French, who is a skeptic, psychologist, and head of an animalistic psychology research unit in goldsmith believes that this progress of channels in the world of lore is natural paranormal investigation and paranormal phenomenon in general has always been associated with whatever is the latest form of technology so Hmm. he says specifically pointing to the first reports of like a ghost photography that occurred really right when cameras began to gain popularity So now those pictures can be explained away as like a double exposure. But Mm. when everyone was like, oh, I got my digital camera, you know, we all thought we were getting pictures of ghosts. So therefore, (laughs) you know, it kind of just. So orbs are just dust balls. (laughs) Probably. We get what's even funnier about that is like where I work, there's a camera and she'll tell me she's like, there's a ghost on the camera. And, uh. And I'm like, that looks like I'm off, <laughs> but there, there was one time that it was something that isn't, 
I couldn't really figure out what it might be. We'll have to share that maybe one time. Yeah. It was, it was very strange, but yeah. So it all kind of goes along with what is popular at the time. A great example was like the photography, because I can just imagine, I mean, I had a digital camera taking pictures of graveyards thinking I was getting orbs and they were probably like bugs. <laughs> <laughs> Your lens was all dirty. <laughs> say obviously with like social media and ghost hunting shows that you are literally constantly bombarded with people thinking that they've caught a ghost or have a house that's haunted and uh, so I'm sure that this type of stuff is going to just continue to rise and and everybody will have their own ghost show on YouTube yeah (laughs) I mean I'm sure that my haunted snapchat from Alcatraz was (laughs) was nothing but I mean, but it's it was just an fun. interference with the service as I went underground. <laughs> oh, I mean, Obviously. that would make sense. But in our heads, we're like, no, that's a ghost. <laughs> but that, I think that's also what makes it fun. You know? Yes. I think me and you, neither one of us are obsessed with actually proving that there are ghosts or, you know, but it is fun to hear these stories and kind of come up with your own conclusions. I agree. Like, was the return to Babylon a hoax or did it actually capture something sinister on film? You decide. Yeah. <laughs> I'm deciding it's a hoax. <laughs> yeah, I Just think the it might be too good to be that, true. That they found the film on the side of the road in like what, Hollywood? Is that what you said? Yeah, on the sidewalk in Hollywood. I don't know. Yeah. Sounds too suspicious. good to be true. Yeah. Yeah. So moving on, today's real life haunt is a man named Nicholas Windling, and he is a part of a paranormal investigative group. Mm. So I'm sure he uses a lot of this recording stuff, and it is called the Ghost Guild. And he really shared some great stories with me about here in North Carolina, as well as some other areas that he considered to be some of the most haunted places that he has ever investigated. So take a listen. So for today's real life haunt, we have Nicholas Windling. Kind of give us a background into your paranormal investigation and stuff like that. So uh, I started actively investigating in 2006. Uh, I think a lot of people started around then because that's when the uh, ghost hunters, the original ghost hunters was on. Right. That's when the TV shows started getting really big. And I'm not going to lie, that really influenced me to actively start investigating. I had a keen interest in it my entire life. And uh, even through elementary school, I was checking out books on ghosts and haunted places and UFOs and crazy things like that. Yeah. kind of. I kind of grew up with the interest. And then I saw these TV shows and it's like, wow, people actually go out and do this. I want to do that too. So mm-hmm. Um, I got out of the Coast Guard in 2006, and as soon as I got back to Raleigh, I uh, started uh, researching if there was any teams in the area that actually did that. Um, so I joined my first team, which was kind of a just a ragtag group of people that were investigating one particular place. And uh, turns out, to this day, the one place we were investigating is arguably one of the most active locations I've ever done. Oh wow! And, uh, like, if I were going to play the best EVPs I've ever collected, I think 90% of them would have come with us from this one location. Um, what location a, is that? <laughs> it's a uh, 
it's a private uh, farm out. Uh, at the time, there was nothing there. It was just a farm, but now it's kind of developed. But uh, out towards uh, the Rollsville area, like North Raleigh. Right. Uh, Rollsville, Zebulon, that area. At the time, it was, it was out there. But like I said, now it's all developed. But um, So after... Uh, after that group, I joined the North American Paranormal Society. Uh, I was with them for about six years, and that's where I got the bulk of uh, my training and uh, really getting to know what I was doing and learning the equipment and things like that. And then I uh, went on a couple-year hiatus. I got out of it for a while, and now I'm with the Ghost Guild. Okay. I joined, I joined the Ghost Guild in uh 2019 i believe mm. 2018 2019 and uh i've been with them ever since and uh i've done approximately 120 investigations up and down these coast wow. since i've been doing this i don't have an official number that's my rough estimate um as far north as boston as far west as louisville and uh, Oddly, as far south as Wilmington, mm-hmm. which isn't very far <laughs> south, which is, I would have thought at this at this time I would have gone further south than Wilmington, but now, that's it. <laughs> Doing all those investigations, you feel like that very first one you did on that private farm was the most active one. Yeah, that's like as I said to this day, uh, there's only two still photos, like still still photography that I'll actually show people that I I can't explain. I don't, I can't tell you what it is. Right. Um, and both of them came from that one location. Hmm. Um, and, and as I said, uh, the vast bulk of my high quality EVPs that I have came from that one location. Um, and what the, one of the photos actually has an EVP to kind of back it up. I caught this photo to me. It looks like a little girl. Oh, and uh, the next time we went out, my girlfriend at the time, she was obsessed with this photo. She had never been into ghost hunting or anything like that. But she saw this photo and was obsessed with it. She's like, oh, I want to go out and talk to this little girl, blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, okay, okay. You know, <laughs> I, I didn't wasn't taking her seriously. I said, go out, go buy a voice recorder, and we'll go try to talk to this little girl. And she goes out and buys this $20 pink recorder from Walmart. <laughs> And we do the investigation, and I remember she's sitting on the couch, and 3 o'clock in the morning we got back, and she was just so excited to listen to it. And right. It's like, yeah, yeah, let's go ahead and listen to it and tell me what you get. And then uh, about an hour in, she's like, I got something, I got something. I was like, yeah, you probably got, like, the turkeys in the trees or something. <laughs> and when I heard it, my jaw hit the floor. It was stunning like oh, just wow. this voice of a little voice of a little girl just calling out they're standing right where that photo was caught and uh to me it sounds like she's saying will you come and play with me please like that oh wow and they're just they're you know oblivious to it they didn't hear it at the time and then it was like wow that's amazing okay I'll write it down and keep going 10 seconds later she's like i got another one i'm like okay now you're just pulling my leg <laughs> and i listened to it again in the same voice, uh, one of our investigators at the time that he was cracked a joke about he was talking about midgets, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you hear this little girl giggle. She liked the like, joke. 
yeah, she what she <laughs> was responding to his joke, and to me, I hear it sounds like uh, that's funny. Why do you love me, friend? Like that. Mm-hmm. And then, then you hear my girlfriend at the time. She's like, okay, well, we're leaving. Like you know, they don't hear it. Right. So to have that photo and have that sequence of voices and this, you know, this is three o'clock in the morning out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Why are we getting the voice of a little girl? You know, it's. I tend to be. I've actually grown much more skeptical since I've been doing this mm-hmm. over the years. I'm far, far more skeptical than I am now than I was when I started. But even that, like, I don't. That's one of the few things that keeps me going. Yeah. Yeah. So now, did was there any history to go along with this area? Uh, the area. The only reason we investigated there was that the guy that was running the group I was with, he was a contractor, and he was working, he was building some stables for this guy on this farm, and the guy just jokingly said, ha ha, be careful, I think this place is haunted. Mm. And they said, really? Like, it's like, you really, would you mind if we came out and, you know, actually investigated? He's like, yeah, sure. So that's how we actually got the location just kind of on a whim. Yeah. And uh, that's, they had investigated two times prior to me reaching out to them and investigating with them. Hmm. And it's like, every time we would go out, we'd come home with these insane EVPs. I've never been to another place like it. It's, it's, I really, really wish I still had access to it, but I, I unfortunately, I have no way of getting back in there. I don't even know if the guy still owns the place or not, but um, as for history, I don't have any official history, but my brother, who's basically a walking history book, <laughs> uh, said that area was a known triage center for the during the Civil War. Mm. So, I, again, I can't confirm that. Right. Um, but something was going on there. It makes sense that something like that would have happened in a place that had so much activity. Cause usually that's, I feel like, I don't know about with your investigations, but I feel like there's always some sort of history in most of these places. Yeah. And, and you know, I've been to places you see on TV. I've been to trans Olympic asylum, Waverly Hills, Ohio State Reformatory, which I'm a huge fan of. And I was actually born three miles from there. That's a whole other story. Um, and I have family that used to work there. And I have the craziest video evidence I've ever collected or video data I've ever collected came from there. But again, that's a whole other story. But this one tiny farm location out in the middle of nowhere trumps them all. Yeah. Wow. To this, to this day. And it's quite frustrating knowing that I can't get back into there. I wonder if it is all grown up now or if it stayed, I guess, a horse stable. Is that what you were saying? Yeah, it was at the time, uh, all it was, it was a field with a trailer in it. Hmm. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was a field with a trailer and then there was a house. And uh, the first EVP I ever got was in the house because they were going to burn it down for firefighting training. And... uh, Going into this, I was never a fan of EVPs because they're so easily faked. Right. Like, I, I saw it on TV. I'm like, no, they're just talking into the recorder. You know, that's not real. Um, I vividly remember the first night we sat in this house. There's only four of us. We all sat in the corners of the room. And I was running my voice recorder. And, you know, we would ask a question. We, we had a very strict protocol. We would ask a question, wait 30 seconds, total silence. 
ask another question. Wait 30 seconds, total silence, and just repeat the process. If there's any, if you cough or you hear a noise, you you, you tag it. I mean, it's basic, it's like EVP 101. Mm-hmm. But I remember, I remember that night just thinking to myself, if there's any voices during this time, like I'm gonna, like I'm gonna lose my mind. Right. Like when I hear this, because I will be a believer. And uh, they, well, the question they said, uh, you know, do you have anything to say? They're they're gonna burn this house down in two weeks for firefighter training. You know, what are your thoughts on that? And then you just hear this crystal clear voice, and actually echoes, which is the crazy thing. As well, that's a shame. It's your mama's house. <gasps> And I remember I heard that. I was like, no way. I was like, no, that wasn't us. Like, I, that's when I was, was like, wow, this is a real thing. Right. And uh, it was intelligent. It was like they were sitting there listening to us. And it was almost like he was looking over at his buddy and saying, hey, it's a shame it's your mama's house. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, they, but yeah, they, they burned the house down for firefighting training. And then they put the trailer on top of it. Mm. And then they built these stables they were building stables all around the trailer, but this was back. Like I said, this was 15 years ago. I haven't been out there in oh geez, maybe 12 years. I think I drove out there just to look at it, but I, I haven't been out there recently. Wow. But I know that whole area is just developed now, so who knows what's there? It's probably probably apartments and a TJ Maxx or something. <laughs> now the TJ Maxx is being haunted. <laughs> hey, I mean. Never know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So obviously that was your your most active story, but can you share with us any other stories that kind of stand out among them? As I stated before, one of my favorite locations is the Ohio State Reformatory. Okay. Also known as Shawshank Redemption. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the prison from Shawshank Redemption. And as I said, I, I was born three miles from there. My family is from that town. My family was all police officers. And I had a lot of family that worked at that prison. Wow. So, um, but I kind of have a special place in my heart for that location just because I, like I said, I have family that worked there. I have all kinds of crazy uh, stories that my my uncles told me about inmates. And yeah. They, they could point the exact spots in the prison where, you know, people were killed. But uh, the first time I ever went, this is back, I think, 2009, 2010, about that time. Um, we, the best single video footage I've ever been affiliated with was from the solitary confinement of that prison. Um, we caught what would be deemed a shadow figure running across the hallway. Mm-hmm. It came out of a stone wall and into a closed jail cell, and it completely blocked the light out behind it. Wow. Now, I've seen I've seen shadows do really weird things, like perfectly explainable tricks of the eye. This thing, it was free floating. It didn't conform to the walls or anything. You could see it, just a solid black mass. And if you pause it, you can actually see what looks like a leg, like like he's hunched over and running hmm. across the cell, across this hallway, and it completely blocks the light out behind it. There's there's people walking down the hallway with flashlights. They never saw it, but it completely blocks the light out. I showed that to my uncle, and uh, he's like, oh, yeah, that's where Alphabet was killed. <laughs> I was like, what? It's like, yeah, there's a, a there's a Polish guy that was killed right there. 
they called him Alphabet because they, you know, his they couldn't pronounce his name. Kind of like kind of like Coach K, Mike Krzyzewski. Right, um, right. His last name is like K Z Y Z Z Y, Batman symbol Q R. <laughs> you know, you just can't pronounce it. So they, you, you can't, it just doesn't look like it's pronounced. So they just called him Alphabet. That's funny. It's like, oh yeah, that's where that's where Alphabet was killed. And there was also a uh, a guard that was killed in the same spot on a different loca- on a different uh, occasion. So I don't know who that is that we caught, but um, yeah, that place rarely lets me down i've been there a couple times the craziest personal experience i ever had was a trans allegheny lunatic asylum Mm. in uh west virginia Weston, west virginia um basically it was the first time i'd ever been there it was on the fourth floor they had just opened up the fourth floor for investigations so like yeah i'll be one of the first people that investigate the fourth floor yay oh wow so yeah so we go up there and my partner and I, we walked through the, the first room we walked through. I had this weird feeling, and uh, I didn't say anything. I don't really act on those too much. Yeah. And then we walked through the room, and my friend, uh, she said, uh, did you feel weird in that room back there? I was like, yes. Yes, I did. So we said, all right, let's go back there and set up and see what happens. So at the time, I was running this experimental, uh, it was a, device I got from work that some contractors left and they never came back to get it and I've been playing with it. It's called an inductive amp- inductive amplifier. Mm-hmm. It's basically a uh, it looks like a turkey baster with a speaker at the end of it. Interesting. <laughs> it's it, it's yeah, it's made for for looking for like wires behind walls and stuff. Yeah. It's, it's it's not made for ghost hunting, but I figured hey, I could play with it. Yeah. I know like it has a, a point at, at the end of it and if you if you hit the point like with your finger, it'll, the speaker will pop and a light will come on. Hmm. Like it'll acknowledge something's hitting it. It's like, well, maybe I can, you know, put it out there and see if anybody will touch the end of this thing and make it pop. Yeah. I've been using I've been using this thing for about a year and had no results until this night. Uh, walk into the room and I held it out and I said, okay, if there's anybody here, you know, wants to let us know you're here, if we think we may have felt you, can you please touch the end of this device? Pop. Mm. And I was like, all right. It's like, that didn't just happen. I was like, all right, that, that was, that was nothing. If you can do that again, do it again. Pop, did it again. It's like, all right. That's interesting. So we were asking more questions. Nothing happened. And all right, well, we're about to leave. Uh, if you want to do one more thing before we leave, go ahead and do it now. It popped again. And then over my left shoulder, there was a bright flash of white light, like, as if somebody took like a picture next to my head, just boom, Hmm. very bright, lit the whole room up. And I'm standing in a corner and this room has no windows. So I kind of look over my shoulder. I look at my friend, Kathy and you know, like I said, I'm pretty skeptical of things. Right. I was like, I was was like, that was your flashlight, right? She's like, no. I was like, uh, you're full of crap. That was your flashlight. You bumped, you bumped the button on your flashlight and it flashed. He's like, I'm not holding my flashlight. It's like, well, it's probably in your bag or something. It's like, yeah, it's at the bottom of my bag. Okay. Uh, so it wasn't your flashlight. What just happened? And to this day, I've been back five times. I've taken pictures of the room. I've tried to figure out how light could have gotten in there. I've got nothing. And it, it was 
so bright. It wasn't a car driving by. It was just a sudden boom. Yeah. Went light. Uh, so I, I, I don't know. I, I have no explanation for it. Hmm. Um, of course, getting a little closer to home, the USS North Carolina never lets us down as well. Right. That's just, that's just a fun place to be at night. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so many cool things to look at and you get kind of distracted. But uh, I've seen actually the same person I had my experience with uh, the Trans-Allegheny. She had her camcorder completely bricked there, like completely knocked out of commission. Oh, gosh. Like it broke on, on cue. We were in sick bay, and uh, she had – okay, I'm, I'm going to put this out there. I'm not a fan of the K2 meter. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a highly flawed device. Uh, not a fan of it. But with that said, <laughs> she was using a K2 meter and she was getting responses. Right. And uh, which, okay, whatever. I'm not like that can be so many different things. Like people don't realize how much can cause a K2 to go off. But uh, so she was having these questions. She's like, okay, if we're about to leave. If you need to use whatever energy from my camera, do it now. And her camera completely shut off battery dead and the camera itself is dead like it won't work anymore hmm. like on cue and then uh she told me about that and then it's like all right i'm gonna run an experiment i was like i'm gonna set the k2 down i'm gonna put my camcorder on it i'm gonna leave for about an hour hour and a half and i'm gonna review the video and see if it goes off while i'm not there and if it's going off while I'm not there, then there's something in the boat that's making it go off. That's yeah. explainable. Well, I came back a, about an hour and a half later. This this is right after that happened. Um, came around the corner, said peekaboo, and it lit up. Hmm. And I ran after it. But during the whole entire hour and a half, I was had the camera on it. It didn't do anything until I came around the corner and said peekaboo. Right. And... I didn't have my cell phone on me. So cell phones make them go off. I didn't have what radio on me because radios typically don't work on the battleship. So I wasn't carrying one. There's nothing on me that would have made that triggered it. Yeah. Like that. So that was kind of strange. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, yeah. Uh, battleship's a good place. The, uh, our team is actually the exclusive uh, investigators of the Mordecai House here in Raleigh. Hmm. They, you have to have a contract with them. They, they kind of pick who they want to investigate, and then they sign. We sign a two or three year contract, and That's in cool. return, we, yeah, we, uh, we basically investigate as much as we want. And then during Halloween, they have a big festival, and then we present our findings to the public. Oh, wow. Obviously. Yeah, obviously a lot of that's been thrown out of whack with COVID, but Mordecai, I wouldn't say it's one of the more active places, but we, I can't go into much detail Yeah. Uh, about something we just got because we're still trying to debunk it, but we might have just had one of the craziest things I've ever heard in my life happen there. Mm. And we're, we're still, we're going to do our due diligence to try to explain it. It's funny. We, we had a new member on our team. It's funny. Uh, that was our first investigation. We were just telling her how this was one of the more quieter places. Not a lot <laughs> ever happens here. Stuff does happen, but it's not like the crazy stuff you have in prisons and battlefields. It's like, yeah, it's a pretty low-key place. I mean, we will get stuff and find it fine. But uh, 
Yeah, I, I, I wish I could go into more detail. Hopefully, we'll, maybe in the future. Yeah, you know, we we that, that was the last investigation we had is what happened, and we haven't had a chance to go back to try to duplicate it. Right, right. Um. So, but man, it's 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 interesting. Our our team, uh, we try to apply the scientific method when we do investigations, especially not only this investigations but if we get something um we'll apply the scientific method to that particular thing to try to debunk it yeah and and then even even if we go through the scientific method you know we come up with a hypothesis we come up with a plan on how to prove this hypothesis one way or another um we collect data we come to a conclusion and more often than not we can explain it. We don't typically say something's haunted or say something's a ghost. We'll call it just unexplained. Um, if we don't know what it is, we're not going to try to come up with some. Oh, well, it's you know swamp gas or something. You know, we're not going to we're not going to do that. We're, if we don't know what it is, we're going to say we don't know what it is, and then you know the quest continues to try to figure out what it is. And then you had said that, you know, you really started getting interested in this type of stuff as a child. Did anything happen? Uh, It's funny because I never had anything ever happen to me until I started actively searching for it. But I grew up, like my mom, she had something crazy happen. She was chased out of a graveyard as a teenager Mm. up in Ohio. Basically, there's this uh, cemetery out in nowhere outside of Mansfield that teenager used to go hang out with hang out there because it's creepy and <laughs> i guess they drove out there one night and they were walking around and something started throwing rocks at them and then they heard they heard my mom said she heard what sounded like a woman laughing and crying at the same time mm-hmm. like coming to the woods chasing them and they ended up running and getting in the car and driving off yelling <laughs> right so i kind of grew up with that story i grew up with uh my brother saw a lot of stuff like he was uh, stationed up in Quantico, Virginia. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, you know, Civil War stuff up there was big. Yeah. Instead, he used to see stuff all the time in the woods. Uh, there was a church up there that he used to kind of go to just because it was creepy. And he said he saw stuff there. Um, so, like, I'd always hear these stories. I'd go up to Ohio. I'd talk to my, my grandmother and my aunt my uncle and everybody they'd always have stuff happen um my dad's had stuff happen my mom's had stuff happen but i never had anything happen right so i've always wanted something to happen and then once i started actively going after it is when uh actually did have stuff happen Hmm. but it, it, it was never i never had anything happen as a child but it, it always fascinated me. I was always the weird kid that, you know, in elementary school. Yeah. We go, we go to the library like once or twice a week and people are getting books on, you know, dogs and, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, whatever kids back then used to get books on. And I'm getting books on the devil's tramping ground, aliens and yeah, things like that, which is odd that they actually had those in an elementary school, uh, library but i think i checked the same five books out many 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 times mm-hmm. i actually did a report like uh it was the eighth grade i did a report on aliens and government cover-ups and things like that and 
people thought I was weird. <laughs> My mom actually helped me with it. That's hilarious. So, she, she, so like, my whole family is kind of into this stuff, so. Yeah. It's pretty funny. So, to kind of wrap things up, as far as the company that you're working with now, do you guys have a YouTube or anything that people can kind of follow you on? So, the, the team is called the Ghost Guild. Uh, we do have a web page, and we also have a Facebook page, and we actually have a YouTube page as well. Awesome. So, you just search the Ghost Guild, and all three of those, and you'll find us. Um, yeah, every October, the, uh, the Mordecai Historical Park has, was it the uh, Halloween Festival, or... October festival. That's so cool. So I, yeah, I should I should I should know the name of it, but we haven't <laughs> had it in so long. But yeah, basically the whole park opens up to everybody. It's it's always open, really. But they just have a festival. They'll have uh, like food vendors and all kinds of stuff to do there for kids. And right, and as I said, we'll present uh, our findings for the year. We'll talk about who we are and present our findings, and that's uh, around. It's in usually mid-October. I got gotcha. you. Close, closer to Halloween. Um, we did have an agreement with the uh, Salisbury Historic Foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we were going to do a presentation because we had done a lot, a lot of work with them in Salisbury. But okay. again, COVID kind of messed that up. So all that's still, we, we it's been postponed. We don't know if it's actually going to happen or not. I got gotcha. you. But, uh, but yeah, but yeah. The normal places, Facebook, YouTube, we have our own webpage, the Ghost Guild. That's where you can find us. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing your stories. We appreciate it. It's my pleasure. I appreciate it. Well, I can't wait to hear, you know, what they discover with this. And we'll have to get it back on for a follow-up. I can't, I want to ask, I have a lot of questions about it, basically. Yeah, me too. I really wanted him to tell me, but... He was like, you know, I can't tell you. <laughs> so, okay. so like top secret or not so I much? I guess so. <laughs> I mean, I tried to talk him into it, but he said no. So I failed. <laughs> I failed you guys. You didn't flash him or anything to entice him to tell you? No. Uh, well, I can't wait to hear more about it. Um, that was an awesome real life haunt for our first episode of season three. So exciting. I'm so happy to be back and ready to share with you guys more haunts and spooky stories. Yes. So, um, by the way, we want to hear from you. So if you have a spooky story that you'd like to share, because you know, everyone has like probably something, even if you don't think it's too exciting, send it to us. We love to just hear these stories um, for ourselves and to share them with everyone else that's listening. So you can email that to the unrest podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. And you can also find us on Facebook. We also have a Facebook group and we would love to see you there. With that being said, unrest in peace.